you've lived your whole life trying to find the expert who will help you with your health, with your emotional wellness, and with the unhealthy cycles playing out in your lives, your relationships, and your careers. We are here to tell you that you are the expert and you have all the answers within you to every problem you struggle with. This is Real Life Healing, and we are your hosts, Steve and Jenny Bear. All right, Jenny, here we are. Yes, episode, we are. Episode one of Real Life Healing. Oh my gosh, this is like, this is a little nerve-wracking, isn't it? It's exciting. It really is. Oh, this is a, such a fun project to share our voices, to share our perspective, and do it in a way that's, that is accessible to people. So, wow, I am so excited to give people a, just a slightly different perspective on what it means to heal their life and to heal their emotions in a way that will heal their families, heal their spiritual relationships, heal their financial woes, heal their actual bodies. Okay, so uh, the way that this works, we're going to have different seasons of this podcast. And you are listening to season one, episode one. And this is really just kind of a broad overview. This is like our origin story. So Spider-Man origin story. You know, this is about us getting the spider bite. <laughs> this is the origin story of, of our experiences um, in the realm of healing in physical in the physical sense and healing in the emotional sense. So I am going to invite Jenny to share her story because she's the one that really started us on this journey, right, honey? Oh, totally. And my story started really when we were dating. And we'd gotten close enough that I realized I had to tell Steve a deep, dark secret about myself. That secret was that I was taking antidepressants. We're in college, and I'm taking antidepressants. And it freaked you out. It did freak me out. <laughs> because I had seen... Um, some family members, uh, my extended family, suffer from depression. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it would really mean, how it would affect our lives. But first thing was red flag. <laughs> pull back, pull back. <laughs> and yet you kept going. I did. You stayed invested in our relationship. 100%. So he went ahead, we got married, and I would say that... One of the worst times in our marriage was the first four months of our marriage when I decided that on a student income, it was too expensive to pay out of pocket for antidepressants and I stopped taking them the first four months of our marriage. Bad they were, decision. They were, it was tough. It was so tough. I definitely felt suicidal during that time. Well, and yeah, and for me, I was like, wait, what happened? The girl that I fell in love with, like, where did she go? Mm -hmm. Like she was, she was gone. She was gone. Yeah. Depression does that. It really makes the whole soul disappear a bit. And you were a very high functioning person on antidepressants because during our, our relationship, our dating relationship, you did not demonstrate a lot of symptoms of being depressed very often. It totally like, it was hard for me to pick up on when you were feeling that way. Right. But I was also on antidepressants at that time. And prior to that, prior to even our relationship, I had tried taking anti-anxiety drugs and couldn't even function as a person 
on those. So I had to be off of those and just manage it myself. And so at that point, I had started um, a few modalities that we'll get into later in the season, biofeedback, counseling, as well as antidepressant drugs. Yeah. And and let me also mention, the one thing that really astounded me during our relationship was the test anxiety that you suffered from. I was shocked because, again, this is not something that I experienced. And so to see it in you, I'm like, whoa, what is this thing that is afflicting you? Because I looked so normal. Yes. Like somebody has to not look normal in order to have test anxiety. <laughs> you had a, You had a lot of Ideas, notions, things <laughs> about yeah. things that should be right, and I, I just couldn't even fathom how you could go into the testing center environment at at school, and you could completely freeze as at the moment that you started your test. How did that feel? Oh, awful! I felt so stupid. Like you and I would be studying, I would know everything. You're like Jenny, you got this, and then I go in that building, and it's gone. Freeze. Empty brain, not doing well. So it was a huge blessing once I had that pointed out to me to say, you have to get special permission to get special testing accommodations just to even pull off a decent grade because I was failing every class at that point. It was really tough. And, you know, but incidentally, she failed a math, a calculus class uh, a few months or a year or so before we met. And then when she retook that class, that's when we met. So, you know, sometimes things that are, that we perceive as just awful circumstances in our life are blessings, are blessings in disguise. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey. It was always, it was so worth it. Yeah. Fell a math class, meet a husband. I can do that. <laughs> so, uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about fast forwarding. Um, I am, now giving birth to our first baby. Well, and let's let's back up just a hair because you were off antidepressants for the first four months of marriage, but then we're like, you know what? We just you just got to do this. We've got to spend the money. We've got to invest in the tool that we were aware of that that to, that was effective to help you. I mean, investing in your health was so important. So important. That's and true. so one hundred bucks a month was worth having me back right having you back saving you from failing additional classes that we were taking our senior year of college Mm -hmm. um not to mention you know feelings of suicidal you know i mean all of it all of those things it was all those things so then um and the next big event in our life was i had just literally just given birth to our first baby and within hours of that first birth, I it was like within four hours, I had such horrid thoughts run through my brain that I've never actually told you the thoughts. No. I only ever trusted one person with my thoughts. And so I turned to the nurses and I was like, I need to see um, a psychiatrist as soon as possible. And they kind of laughed me off. And I kept saying it because I was so worried about the thoughts that were running through my head that I said it and I said it. And they finally were like, wow, this girl is young, but she's serious. So they made an appointment to have an in-hospital appointment with a psychiatrist and we met with him and I told him what was going through my brain. And he said, did you ever stop taking your antidepressants? And I said, yeah, I did. I would take them off and on because I was feeling so good in my pregnancy. I wasn't super consistent. He said, you need to take them for the rest of your life. Never stop. You've been through enough bouts of suicide thoughts that you need to make sure you're always taking this. And told me that I was experiencing postpartum psychosis, 
which very often when I retell this story leaves me weeping because I found out later that only 50% of women survive when they hit that level of mental incapacitation. And I had no idea this was happening. No. I mean, we, this is the first child and, you know, this baby comes out. and You're I'm just, super happy. I'm enthralled. Guy in of positivity. Child. Yeah, a total positive guy. Hey, everything's great. Baby's great. Jenny's great. Oh, no, she's not. But, I mean, I had no idea that this was going on until I think you told me, or maybe like not even in the hospital, or maybe right when you said that you needed to see a psychiatrist. But the severity and the extent of it. I was keeping it very hidden. And I was very much in control of what was coming across my face. And I cannot say that you have ever spoken to me the words. I never have. And, and I'm okay with that. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were very, very scary words yeah. that I was feeling. Um, and so only anyone who's ever gone through the diagnosing treatment or experience of postpartum psychosis will understand what I'm talking about. But it is a very real thing. It's very scary. So um, I would say that we then continued that path for a long time. I did learn, though, after years later from several labor and delivery nurses that the IV drugs they were giving me directly interfered with the medication, the antidepressant medication I was taking, and caused postpartum psychosis, latch difficulty with both of us, it was, and it was very traumatic to have a baby be born and then suddenly she won't nurse or latch without all this extra assistance. And it was just, you know, your, your abilities as a new mom just get shot to the floor. So not only was that all happening, but as a new mom, I was just feeling very uncomfortable with the entire experience. You did not get an epidural for this, uh, for this delivery. And in the seven children, the seven deliveries that we've had, you never received an epidural. Uh, although the seventh was a C-section. Right. So you had a First form. baby was Nubane. That was the IV drug. And along with an induction. And then the last baby was a spinal block for a C-section. And, and that, that was first baby and seventh baby. Yeah. And everything in the middle was completely natural. was natural. completely natural. Because and I was of them were so, at home. <laughs> yeah. And I was so upset by that first experience in the hospital that, yeah, I kept going back for two more pregnancies, but I wouldn't do any drugs because I was literally scared of what was going to happen on the other side of delivery. Okay. So I want to ask you, Jenny, because I think you can give people a lot of good insight on this. When you talk about your decision to not to go natural or as natural as you could, um, I think it's important for people to understand that Jenny, the, her decision-making process wasn't so much oh, there's this one person in my life who said, do this, and so I'm going to listen to that one person and do it their way. Your decision-making process has very much been gather data, gather information, and then and then what? And then I feel out the decision. I'm always the decision feeler. And if I'm ever not, I have some serious digestive upset. When, yeah. I, when I try to make decisions out of my head, like, oh, they say be logical, they say do it this way. Whenever there's a rule to follow, that's usually when I fall flat on my face in a decision-making process. And that is what contributed heavily to test anxiety, was someone else's rules. Yes, and isn't that fascinating? And that's one of the key themes that you'll see throughout the series of podcasts that we're doing is this, this choice to study things out – 
to gather perspective from various sources and then feel for yourself what the right answer is. Mm -hmm. I feel it in a different way than Jenny feels it. That's something that we'll go into in later episodes. Um, but in but this that decision, is a cycle. And that's what is so fascinating when you are looking at healing yourself is what cycles are playing out. And that was one cycle that has definitely played out in my life. And I am aware of it because I can fall one way or I can see, can succeed the other way. Yeah. And so we talk about success principles and failure patterns in mm -hmm. our, in our coaching. And, um, and you can see that the failure pattern was for Jenny was to rely too heavily on logic to make a decision. Mm -hmm. The success principle was to feel the right answer. That's correct. And yeah. so that's how you felt with the, with with this decision to go in as natural as possible, like it didn't feel right for you to get an epidural, so you... So I didn't. And who knows what the consequences could have been from that. They might, you know... Could have been fine. Could have been fine. Could have been worse. Could have been the same. Yep. But you felt out that decision. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about when you're feeling depressed, like really, really depressed. So according to the doctors I had seen at that time... Um, the synapses in my brain were simply not connecting. There was not a transference of electricity from one side of an electron to another, and they just weren't working. And so that's why I needed the medications, was to complete the electrical charge between both synapses. Then, um, how what does it feel is very important. Because when someone is reaching out to me and saying, hey, I'd like to start learning how to heal myself of this. What do I do? Um, what is, how does it feel? Well, a lot of people are experiencing um, sadness, extreme disappointment over simple life experiences. But if you are in the synapse situation like I am, it's a genetic issue and it's going to definitely affect how you function, and you're going to need something a lot more serious. So for me, I experienced this as I'm, I can feel myself slipping down the slope of sadness, like, and it's coming fast. But what I want to do is, no, I've got this. And I totally engage my pride in saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And every time I say that, I spiral further and further into this black hole. And then I actually, while I'm saying I can do this, I can't even reach for the very things that will help me, which is why antidepressants on a daily basis was the best option at that time. It's not what I use anymore. I've been antidepressants free for over a decade, but it was what worked at the time. And so if you're not doing something every day to support yourself and you're just trying to exist and then suddenly recover when you're starting to fall down that slippery slope, you can't. It's You literally cannot go to a little bottle in your house and take it because you, you're, you're already too far gone. And so for me, over the next few years of our marriage, um, I would try to tell you that I was slipping. And when my subtle nature of telling you was not being heard, I would go into fits of anger and depression and Jenny disappeared straight up gone. Um, that was not easy for you, Stephen. No. In fact, you would fight my depression with anger, which caused more problems. <laughs> it wasn't, 
It wasn't easy. Yeah. So, and I think it kind of plays into, into some of my natural tendencies. Like my natural tendencies are to make people smile, to make people happy. I want to be the sunshine in the room. I don't want to be the Debbie Downer. <laughs> and, right. and I, I kind of took upon myself this, this role of, I need to help Jenny be happy. And if Jenny wasn't happy, then I was failing. And failure for me has been kind of this trigger word, like, right? no, I didn't. Anyway, so, but with that situation, I was definitely like playing into this trap of, of taking ownership of your happiness. Right. Which is a problem. Then rejecting my, myself because I was somehow unable to, to do my job. Mm Mm-hmm. And in rejecting myself, I was really just like, I mean, I was actually, I was angry at you, but the anger at you was really just anger at myself. Right. Which most people don't really recognize in your, as you're coming into this early stage of healing. Yeah. That, yeah, you were mad at yourself, but that was too much to take because then you're making yourself sad. So you would just lash out at me for being depressed. Yeah. And and it, it was an awful cycle. Yeah. And it sounds so terrible to, I mean, like, how could you guys fall into that cycle? But I mean, early you 20s just didn't for have both an of us, understanding. And we just didn't understand. Yeah, you had no concept, and because I could be such such a good masking agent of like hiding it, hiding it until it was so bad that you were like, it was felt like it was popping out of nowhere. Yeah, one analogy that your your story about the slippery slope of trying to like, I remember a backpacking trip that I did in high school, and we were trying to climb this one particular. Uh, mountain we were trying to traverse this one area where I think there had been this like total rock slide and so the trail had kind of been covered by this rock slide and we had to go up we had to go through switchbacks up but the trail the rock slide was not I'm not talking about big rocks I'm talking about what was called shale like pebbles and so we would go up we take two steps up this shale and then we'd slide back one and two steps up and slide back one and there were times where you you'd step, you'd kind of try to like move really fast up through the through this these shale rocks with this big cumbersome backpack on, and then the act the movement of just going so fast trying to get up and try to power through it would actually just cause you to just slide further down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the only good analogy. the only way for us to be able to actually make it up this slope was to go slow. And deliberate and then find those key big rocks that were like oh go to this spot gather your strength and your balance and then slowly and deliberately move to the next spot and find your balance and then go on from there but powering through it would just create more of a slide so I, anyway that's how now I understand it how did you think and feel as you were witnessing all this happening to me because a lot of our listeners are going to be both understanding my experience because they've either lived it or they've watched it and you were the watcher as the watcher um i think the the main thing that was playing out was especially in the early years was i was my i i took it upon myself to do so much for you especially in the good weeks and so I was always doing dishes. I was always playing with the kids. I was always changing diapers. I was always helping with some element of the domestic responsibilities. And then 
ultimately, and during the bad week, um, I felt like none of that stuff was was valid anymore. Like all the work that I would put in for the, the the three weeks was suddenly not good enough. In hindsight, what I would what I wish I could tell my old self is keep doing all those things to help and support your spouse who is struggling with depression. And then during the bad week, take a step back, make sure you are in a good mental space, doing the same things that you would normally do, but without trying to push your spouse to be happy, without trying to add more burden to their Mm -hmm. plate, without trying to, you know, try to get them out of it. Mm -hmm. Because I think what you would tell people now is to kind of just seep into that experience a little bit. I do. At this point, depression taught me a lot. And um, I've labeled him as a he. Uh Depression shows up. And when he shows up, I welcome him as a friend. And I'm like, oh, you're here to remind me to do something that I've been lacking. I've missed something in my life. And you're here to remind me that I need to get things back in order. So he's a friend and and I embrace him with love. And that is the biggest difference that ultimately played out for me is when I was fighting depression, when I was doing everything to prevent depression, I was very much in this pride cycle of, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Meanwhile, slipping, slipping, that shell rock was just like falling right underneath me. But when I welcomed him at the door, when I gave depression a great big hug and said, hi, clearly you already arrived before I even realized you were here. I'm in tears. I'm in this fog of sadness. What are you here to teach me? Depression has taught me a lesson every time, and it's not always the same lesson. Initially, it was your synapses are not in order. You have a lot of self-hate for several different things in your life, you need to fix that. So I did. And then years later, it became, guess what? I only come cyclically. I'm now only a hormone issue. Why don't you pay attention to your hormones? And so I did. And sometimes it's not depression. Sometimes it is sadness. And that is what we forget in our busy lives is that sometimes we need to just sit with sadness and give it a hug and say, thank you for helping me move through this grief. Thank you for helping me move through this disappointment. Um, it's normal to feel sad and cry. And what's really sad about what our society has told us to do and what's appropriate for us to do is they, they tell us to just keep moving, keep powering through Power it. Power through, yeah. And things like meditating, prayer, additional sleep, just laying in bed, just enjoying the quiet, are frowned upon as lazy. Or even meditation sometimes is, you know, weird. Woo, weird, totally. Um, and, and so what people do is they do this hybrid of the two. They don't want to be lazy and just sit there and meditate and feel quiet, but they don't want to be active and out and about and just powering through life. So they do this middle ground stuff, which is go to Netflix and binge watch, go to social media and scroll. 
and you know go on YouTube and just watch a bunch of eight minute videos until and you're video games video games video games often amplify any depression feelings you're feeling yeah. they make you feel really lonely so instead of taking the time to be quiet and begin to listen and receive answers for oneself we're we're, we're taking time to listen to the noise of the world outside of us mm -hmm. and that can amplify yeah. everything that we're struggling with. And it makes it feel like we are, we have no hope that we're always going to be like this, that we're always going to struggle. And then it just, it just goes to pot from there. Totally. And there's a saying that I really love that came from one of my thought leaders I follow, Carol Tuttle. And she says, struggles deplete us, challenges feed us. So it's, it's literally the struggle is the fight, the challenge is the love. Is this a challenge? Are you willing to embrace it? Give it some love and attention and figure out why it's there. Wow. Wow. Well, this, is, this has been a meaty first podcast. Yeah. Like, this is great. I mean, we're, we're going to continue on this origin story because the, the, the story doesn't, stop, doesn't end there. The story continues on in a lot of other realizations that both you and I have experienced in different ways. Um, but for now, you know, you can visit our, our website, stephenjenny.us. I like to say stephenjenny.us because <laughs> it's us. And um, there are different resources available to you at, at that location. Um, but in the meantime, it's been a pleasure. Our kids are banging down the door like, come on, dad, come on out. So we are done for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience today um, whenever you happen to listen to this. And we look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thanks. Thanks.